Hello and welcome to episode 2 of 177 Nations of Tasmania and today my guest is Takei Aiden who was brought up in Uganda although his heritage is Rwandan and he is uh, both a a musician and uh, a trained social worker. The work he's done in Tasmania has of course like many migrants been a little different to his previous experience. So I sat down for a while to talk with him about life, his experience and what it's been like for him settling down in Tasmania. I go by the names of Aiden TK and I'm originally from Rwanda but I was born and raised in Uganda. Um, yeah, been living in Australia for now four and a half years. Uh, Tasmania to be specific. You know, I love being in Tasmania and uh, I guess it's a good place to be. If you live in Tasmania, you know it's a good place to be, so yeah. So how long have you actually lived in Tasmania? Four years, yeah, nearly four years and three months around okay. there. Yeah, because I, I lived in Sydney for a couple of months. Really, I came to Australia when um, uh, my wife lives here. Mm-hmm. So pretty much I came, it was a reunion. I came on a partner visa. I came to stay with my family. That was it. That's the reason why I came here. And yeah. is your wife also from Rwanda? Yeah, she's originally from Rwanda. And how long has she been here before you came? Ah, oh, she's been here for quite a long time now, nearly man, 20 years or All right. Yeah, she's been here for a long time. So how did you, did you know each other back in Africa already? Yes, we knew each other back home in Rwanda. Yeah, because we met way back, way back, way back, I reckon in 2007 or around there. So pretty much been together for what, <laughs> over 10 years now. So were you separated for quite a while or were you coming to Australia? So? She was really coming, she was often, they used to come to Rwanda a lot of time and um, they had stuff they were doing back home, so yeah, that's how we met. So I'd never been in Australia before. Was that a big step for you? I would say it's a mixed feelings because um, <clears throat> at one point could be a big step and the other point it's challenging. So I wouldn't say, because it's uh, like you have this life you've been living, you have uh, 20 something years of your life you've been living or, you know, 30, and then you choose to move to a certain country where you don't know one, where it's different culture, and then you have to shut that door mm-hmm. and then be start from zero start afresh mm-hmm. that's quite challenging yeah. although um, making that step also required resilience and um, saying that yes sh- I've shut the 30 something years of my life now let me let me begin afresh yep. let me make it up for all the 30 years and I must say now it's more rewarding so, so when, what were some of the initial challenges that you faced finding a job um, employers to believe in me or believe in us migrants that we are capable of doing things mm-hmm. that maybe they're doing um, because you here you are you come with a whole lot of experience inside an area and then you know on the door you apply for jobs and people are like nah um, like they don't trust you like yeah, I think sure. there was a bit of trust a lot yeah. but um, and I think it's still going on over and over again not for us migrants but I reckon for all entire migrants that come here yeah. we come with a lot of experiences and we can do things we have skills we have knowledge but they don't give us the opportunity yeah. they want you to start from a certain lower place work yourself up yeah. but actually at some point maybe um, I believe 
believe I believe them because mm-hmm. <laughs> again you require to, you, you need something you're like how am I how do I know these people can do this yeah. and uh, they, will, they will say alright you know we'll give someone else we know we'll give someone else who's been here for a long time who perhaps knows the system knows how to do things so you need to go somewhere start from somewhere volunteer somewhere you know get to know the in the nitty gritty of how things are done and then if you keep going on then you find your feet somewhere however um, I would say they should give people chances mm-hmm. yeah. they should give people chances there are some um, I'll say there's some institutions which wouldn't mind and I must commend that uh, uh, when I when I arrived into Spain uh, <clears throat> three months I jumped online and applied for an uh, IWF holdings and they just gave me a job mm-hmm. for like I was more like a fixed contract three months it was uh, administrator so more like uh, uh, it was uh, it was more administrator trying to reconcile uh, you know <clears throat> uh, reconcile we had data that things were trying to reconcile for people's expansions uh, and stuff okay yeah yep. and at the end of that gave me a more stepping stone to knowing how people work and a reference and like more welcoming me welcome to the industry this is how you work <laughs> Uh, right now, I work in disability. I work in I'm a support worker in disability, but I'm also a student at university doing a, a degree in applied health and community care. Okay. Uh, for which I, I, my aspiration is, of course, to go back to where I started from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to go back to social work, to go back in case management and case work. That's why I decided to take off that course. And then with disability, to me, it's more like um, I know, I know a gate, an, yeah. an eye opener, a foundation. Because again, while I'm going there, I'll still be in the same industry anyway. Yeah. So, so yeah. kind of going sideways. Yeah. So finding find the right path, you gotta start from somewhere, yeah. and that from there you gonna you find your feet because they're all connected and they're linked. So, yeah. but you need to be ready for that. Yeah, it's often a matter of getting your foot in the door. Isn't oh it? yeah, yeah. You just have to keep going. The good thing is that you don't limit yourself. Just keep going. If someone shuts the door, open. Try try and knock on another door and. Uh, yeah. That's how it worked out for me. And what what advice would you maybe give from your own experience to uh, other new migrants who maybe mm. been coming to Tasmania? I was telling some of my blogs, my friends back then that, you know what, um, even here, that while back home we are limited to opportunities, mm-hmm. here you have a lot to choose from. Mm-hmm. It's how you choose, it's, it's what you want. If you feel like you did um, accounting and you have a master's in accounting, you feel like that's what you want to to do, you're not gonna find that job straight away in Hobart. Yeah. You end up sitting for one year, two years, and you're not finding that job. Mm-hmm. Yet you can use that time to try and tap in something new. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of work in community work. There's a lot of work, especially in community. That's what I understand. So community is very large. It has so much going on there. So it's a matter of saying, okay, I think I can tap into this. What are the requirements? What do I need to do? And then you go and do that, and then you start something new while you're waiting for that new for that career that you want to do mm-hmm. you know never don't give up on yourself have a positive mind try something new yeah because you never know what you you may you may have been tied into the office for the past 10 years and you think that's one thing you want to do but actually something else you, 
can do that you have not tried out. Yeah. So you give that a shot. Yeah. That's all. That's all I can say. That sounds like good advice. Mm-hmm. That's all I can say. Like I said, community is a very big. Committant health is a very big industry. Yeah. There's a lot of work you can do there. You just need to know how to do it. What you need. How what are the requirements you need to do it, and you go for that. Yeah. And when you get the, the first steps, and then the next step is to start looking for work. You may not get it today, yeah. but you let you, you have to be assured that you're gonna get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So what what experience did you did you sort of bring to Australia? What did you uh, actually? I'm a social worker. Okay. Yeah, I did social work for quite a long time. Um, that was from when I graduated from university in 2006. Uh, 2007, 2008, I started working with an NGO, with an American NGO. I worked there for three years, and then the project ended. And then had one year of gap where, of course, you're looking for a job, trying mm-hmm. to figure out. Because here you come, here you come from a an, an English or British background school uh, uni- uh, country, which is Uganda, and then you move to Rwanda, which was more of a French. Mm-hmm. And that the education, the systems were different. People, people were not familiar of uh, uh, backgrounds like people like social sciences or sociologies. Okay. Uh, they they ne- they knew they were there, but they, they all they thought about what the system had told them prior was law. Mm-hmm. You might be, you need to be a lawyer or you need to be in uh, management and um, you know things like that. So here you start with an NGO, you work three years on down the road, and then you have that experience, and then the NGO closes, and then you need to start looking for another job. And people are like ah. I wish you. I wish you had management. I wish that's those are the areas. But then you're like, I can do more administration. I can do administration work. But again, like I said, you keep trying here and there and here and there and here and there. And then I got on to save the children. That's an NGO back home that was working with refugee camps, and then say working. Right. I was there for because well, that was from two because you know in 2008, nine and 10, 8, 9, 10, 11. Then I have a year there, almost a year of gap. Near four. One year and a half with Save the Children, and then again, remember these are projects you work on. You join a project in the middle, and then they mm-hmm. finger they close, and I'm like, ah, okay, cool. Now what can I do next? That's when um, so looking again, I looked for another job, I couldn't find it. Like, okay, now what can I do now? So I was, I, I'm this kind of guy who likes to uh, uh, to to volunteer. Mm-hmm. I don't mind. I'll volunteer anything. I'll do internship. I'll do something so long as it keeps me busy. So a friend of mine told me, you know, how about you try do it. Because um, with all that type of work I was doing, there's a bit of statistics, data analysis, statistics, mm-hmm. yeah, collecting data for, you know, trying to analyze data. And so I'm like, okay, they're looking for people to do data data mining in um, in an airline. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll volunteer. Someone told okay, just apply. I volunteer when they did an internship, more like an internship, literally it's volunteering yeah. for three months. And then I got a job there. <laughs> so that was my last job till I moved to Australia. Okay. <laughs> So that leads me to working in IWF because now I had like a one year or something there in you know numbers and things like that. Okay. So tell me about your experience at Save the Children. That, that was in Rwanda? Yeah, it was in Rwanda. It was like uh, working with refugee camps. And uh, of course, uh, you have these uh, you have these vulnerable uh, uh, kids and their mothers and their you know people coming all, all the way from the Congo and uh, from Burundi and you know they come and they're settled in some refugee camps. We have a refugee camps in the northern part of Rwanda, I think, if I remember, northwest. It's called Mahama, like so. That's where they put them, and then the government can take care of them in partnership with the uh, uh, UN. Mm-hmm. 
UNHCR and you know they provide them service resources and support so my experience was again language because mm -hmm. you see they come some of them are not educated and you need to speak to them and then and then people to understand some don't open up to tell you what's going on so you require to work with a number of people to be able to understand their needs and to be able to address their needs and okay. uh, uh, so managing their cases and following them and re registering them looking for the lost children because like, when they're coming some of them get lost and then you need to track them and finding them and reunite them with their parents and uh, guardians so it was a bit challenging but mm. but like again I said sometimes you need to love what you're doing and then yeah. you don't work alone you work with a lot of people and then together with with other health workers and uh, uh, physicians together you you come up with a support plan and you're able to provide support and to meet their needs it's easy for me like yeah. it's something I like and I find it very easy to do I was born in Kampala, actually, in the city. I was born, but it was fine. Because during our times, well, because <clears throat> I'm, um, could be the third generation. Because my mom, my, my parents were also born there. Okay. Yeah, born, born in Tanzania. All right. Because for them, they, their parents were refugees. Yep. So they saw refugees from Tanzania. So that's where my parents were born. And then they left and moved to Uganda. Okay. And they settled in Uganda, in refugee camps in Uganda. So in their childhood, uh, a youthful age because they studied in Uganda actually because okay. my mom uh, my, while my dad started in Tanzania and part of Nairobi and, and part of Tanzania and part of Uganda and then went ahead to study in another place my mom studied predominantly in Uganda because in her childhood they moved to in her youthful age they moved to Uganda that's why she you know, even actually before that they were in Tanzania mm -hmm. and then when my grandparents moved to the camp uh, say the late 70s in the early 70s okay. they moved to Tanzania in Uganda in the camp that's where they started studying and then they, they went on to study like that in Uganda and then we were born so in their youthful age they moved to Kampala but my grandparents stayed in the camps but their children moved and settled in the city and you know okay. made a living and stuff like that so that's where we were born we were born in the city it was good amazing we were very few runners by then and perhaps maybe some I didn't know them and uh, but I was raised with Ugandans a lot and uh, <laughs> I got to know I was running I think after 94 genocide I think that's when I knew oh okay I think I'm up here Random because that's when my parents were uh, before '94. We did like I thought I was Uganda. No. It was good, it was amazing. Ugandans are lovely people. They, you know, it's a very big country that has welcomed so many refugees, welcomed mm. so many nationalities. So it was good during our time. Now I don't know, but during our time it was very good in schools and everywhere. It's only the western part of Uganda that shares more with more similarities with mm -hmm. Rwandans. Uh, in the languages we speak, with the way we look, we are more same. We are really, it's very hard to identify unless you get to speak to one of them. Yeah. Because Uganda they speak Swahili. Swahili is, uh, the, you, that language never picked up a lot in Uganda yeah. because it has a bad history okay. with Uganda. So Ugandans decided to refuse to speak their language. But it was there in the subjects and those that were keen to speak learned it. Go. But Swahili was more, is more Tanzanian. Yeah. That's their national language. Yeah. Kenya too. And uh, other countries of Burundi adapted Kiswahili and of course Congo as usual and uh, Rwandans. Yeah. So Swahili is just across that East African block. 
I think because I went to different schools, um, I, I went to the western part of, uh, it's a part of west country. I, I went more into traditional schools and uh, we are, like I said, like Kampala had more different tribes, different uh, nationalities. So mm -hmm. it was very hard. You, you, we used to study with South Sudanese, we used to study with uh, Rwandans and Bruneans and yeah, but those that were more visible a lot were South Sudanese yeah. and uh, some of us could just get lost in, you know, in Ugandans, but definitely if you take a close look, few of us we are runs. Yeah. It was fine. It was all I can say. Schools are just schools. Really, yeah. it's just having fun, and no one really has to you know, stand up and speak their language, good perform, and that's it. Yeah. yeah. So, is it were they kind of a bit of schooling in English or multiple languages? English from nursery, English, and uh, of course we were also interesting. We are also <laughs> in schools. We are also punished by not speaking English. Oh really? Mm, because the the schools, the fact that you have different tribes in school, so we we were obliged to use English as a um, media language of communication. If you're found using a vernacular or any other language, you're punished for that. Okay, what, what sort of punishment? Oh, lots of punishment. <laughs> beaten, you know, you're beaten. So, so we were always um, um, so they used, they, uh, they had a, they had a method of identifying people used to speak uh, vernacular. So what they used to do was um, at the start of uh, every Every day in the morning, the head prefect will create a more like a card, small card like this. We'll give it to you. Mm -hmm. The the head teacher give it to you, and you keep it in your pocket. Okay. So if you had someone randomly speaking any word other than English, he gives it to you. So it will run okay. through your hands till the end of the day. And then the evening, around three or four p.m., there was a general assembly, and then the guys they can have my cards. So if you have the card, they will ask who gave it to you, who gave it, to you, who gave it to you, until which is the source. And then those that had the card, they punished. Yeah, right. Oh, exactly. Wow. <laughs> so that's why you find most people really, most Ugandans speak English. They may not have, as long as they can express themselves in English. Yeah. And when I was young, I was very, I was a very stubborn young man. So <laughs> I wouldn't say I had dreams. I wouldn't say I had ambitions. I was just tapping into anything that was coming my way. Yeah. I wouldn't lie. Like those people would say, oh, when I grow up, I want to be like this. No, I didn't have that. I was just going with whatever comes my way. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so but however, in primary school, I adopted um, um, MDD, music, dance, and drama. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was more into singing, acting, dancing, primary. Because that's what they do have. Yeah. Well as uh, some of the extracurricular activities that went on over and over again. Played soccer too, yeah. and then in secondary, I joined. I joined. Uh, uh, I became a Christian. Mm -hmm. Like became a born again Christian. I joined the church. Started singing church. I started being a Christian, but with them, with more uh, performing and singing. Part of the ministry that I was doing. Mm -hmm with the was the youth ministry that I was part of and uh, that went on for almost six to seven years until I graduated from university so I was doing more I was singing in church okay. acting and singing and serving started way back yeah, you know like I would say uh, if I say from primary but then you join the you, you join the, the church where uh, that's where everything is you can you can access everything you can speak to people who are more they can teach you how to sing they can teach you how to write music you can sing all sorts of music it was fun and then uh, <clears throat> I developed a love I used to play drums too because I was in church but now I, I don't think I can anymore it's been a long time ago but yes uh, it went on over and over again I say I, I remember my 
first uh, group that was in, uh, was called the witnesses of God's God's salvation, mm -hmm. derived from Act One Three. So we were we were we had the music. We were five of us in singing and rapping, and dancing and stuff like that. Aside from the ministry, we were doing our thing on the side. It went on for uh, yeah, a long time until I graduated from university, mm -hmm. and then I started other ambitions, working, hustling. Now no yeah. more no more of that. So now I needed money, so working, and then uh, uh, in um, when I moved to Rwanda around 2008, uh, I was like, okay, I think now I can. I started listening to music for people are singing, you know, other singers, and you know, like I think I can do better than these people. <laughs> <laughs> like I can do better than them. So that's when I started doing music. Then I started afresh. Yeah. Met uh, met my old time friend of mine who we went to school together. So we formed the then Two for Real. That was the first group. That was the mm -hmm. group that I was part of before I moved to Australia. And we did lots of music together, launched albums, you know, toured the country, performed with East African regional artists. It was really fun until I moved here. Yeah. And so, I know about you that all, but mm -hmm. could you tell us something a bit more about the kind of music we were making at the time? We were doing, we were doing more of uh, Afro, I would say Afro beats, like it's a combination of uh, Congolese beats with uh, African beats and, and then mixed up with pop, pop music. And then you, you, you create the Afro beats or the Afro pop music, like, you know. So we're doing that for I still do it, but right now uh, I I would say I've, I've improved it mm -hmm. <laughs> because of working with different producers who have more touch on music. So I'm trying to create more appealing and more danceable and more something with a touch which is more pop. At the same time, keep keeping the Afro, the, the Afro, the Afro beats, the Afro, keeping the Af the African touch in the, in the song. So the music that you were doing that, was that African influenced as well, or was it more traditional? We we're doing. Um, no, I wasn't African influenced. We're just doing more of uh, gospel music, like okay. Western music, because we were, because they used to, we were not actually during that time. I didn't know more. I didn't didn't know anything about Afrobeat. This Afrobeat thing just came up, I think, ten years ago, even mm -hmm. ten or years ago in Africa. Okay. It was there, but it was not popular. Okay. But until the Nigerians are the ones who really made it very popular, and because uh, they all, uh, and the Congolese used to do their own rumba and their lingala rumba kind of music, but the Afrobeat thing just took over the way that thing. 15 to 15 years, 10 years ago, I reckon. The Afrobeat, Afropop. But it's been there. But during our time, we're not doing that. Yeah. We're doing, they used to make us beats, you know, to, 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 you know, those, you know, yeah. R&B and hip hop beats and then perform on those. Yeah. I just love music. I always tell people that me, I just love music. I don't care if I, people say, oh, do you get paid when you do music? I'm like, I just love music. I just love, I just love to do music. So I don't care whether I get paid or not paid. I just, the same way you love to go and play football, the same way you love and do the things you love. Me, I love music. And the feeling that I get when I, when I write a song, produce a song and it's out and people love it, that motivates me to even make more music. So that's why I'm doing music. And uh, here it's because people do different, I've seen people here who uh, Africans have been here for a long time yeah. they're doing more uh, like they're doing more of Australian music and <coughs> rap music and which is good they're doing more of uh, but me I can't do that type of music I have my own type of music that I feel that I want to do and that's what I do yeah. so but my own challenge is to make sure I create something good that even someone on the other side is gonna love 
in hope, but I've done a lot. Uh, I think I performed in 2000, at the beginning of 2018. I did on Dark Morpho, Fomo, Bit Fomo, Fomo, yeah. That's, that's, I performed on that stage. I also performed on the, Taz, the Mona Test of the World. In fact, this year I was supposed to perform too, but because of the pandemic, we were unable to go through yeah. with that. Uh, I've done a couple of tea room performances at the parliament. Uh, um, and I've also done, um, I've also done the Harmon Week. I've done the Harmon Week through Housing Tasman, Housing Choice, Hobart, Hobart City Council, yeah, and stuff like that. If I have a song and it has a, a hook that's catchy and they're going to sing along, that's, that's what I like, you know. <laughs> so that really motivates me. Yeah. It's not only Africans, just a mixture of, uh, of uh, Tasmanians. Yeah. And, and do you find, have you found living in Tasmania, do you feel uh, comfortable or accepted here? Yeah, I love, yeah, I love Tasmania. I just feel comfortable. I'd, at least uh, in my circles, I feel comfortable. I wouldn't say I feel accepted by the whole entire state of Tasmania. Yeah. But at least I've not experienced anything that may that may make me feel not accepted. Yeah. Yeah. That's the word I can use. Yeah. I reckon it's about knowing doing the right thing at the right time and the right place. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I always tell. You do the right thing at the right time and at the right place. Yeah. Yeah. So if you find yourself doing something at the wrong place, you end up not being accepted, then that's not that's part of you. It's everywhere. I think a couple of people that I've met, uh, they're always keen to know to know you, yep. and uh, and because if someone's keen to know you, then that's good. Yep. Someone's giving you to know you, yep. to get a touch, a different experience. Yep. It's good because we come with a lot of experiences. So if someone's keen to have a chat and what, just open up your mind and trying yep. to understand a couple of things, it's a good thing. Find the people are um, curious. Some yeah, at least those I've encountered are very curious, very curious. And. Uh, do you know many other Rwandans? No. <laughs> it's just me and my family. <laughs> no, 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 no. At least I've been told those that were here moved to mainland, but either way here, we are not so many. The ones I know, they're just one. It's just my family. Uh, two families, that's the ones I know. Me personally, uh, like I said, I was born and raised in a very crowded place. That's Kampala. Mm -hmm. Very busy. Yeah. Very busy. If you've been to Africa and you know, countries like Kenya, Nairobi, yeah. all those kinds are very busy. There is no way I'm gonna come here and then I go live in another busy place. Yeah. That's the reason why I decided to just settle in a more quiet and again I hate driving long distances especially for work and you know home <laughs> and stuff like that. Because like I said I visit Sydney, I used to live, you live a place, Campbell Town where you need to drive, that's like in the far west. You need to drive and then go to the city almost one hour or something. Yeah. Oh, why Why would I have, you know, if I can find what I want here and I, that's all I'm after. If, at the end of the day we are after one thing after work and settle so if you can find work here and settle most people will say lifestyle lifestyle but life says what you make it yeah. you know life says what you make it if you feel like you, you you're gonna make your lifestyle by being with a lot of people around you that's fine but there are also people here it's about how you engage with people making friends integrate and make a big number of friends if you want to and then you can still settle there are people here there's so many people here you can't even make all of them as your friends <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what would you say your um, maybe what's your favorite thing about living? Oh, I would say the environment. Like, it's very uh, quiet. It's very, uh, like, breathing good air. Like, it's very laid back, relaxing. You know, that's a good thing. And, of course, being to drive two hours away and I'm in another, you know, another town. So, it's good. You can easily drive, go to Launceston, come back. You can easily drive, go to Orford. You can easily drive, go to uh, Port Arthur, come back. You know, against yep. this, you can easily go to the mountain. There's snow at the mountain. There's everything everywhere you want to know.
there's some places you wouldn't feel comfortable going to. I think uh, the safety of some places that we feel like if I go here, I'd, I wouldn't feel the warmth of being welcomed in such areas. Like, mm -hmm. like you're not free to go in some areas. Like you're free to drive there, yes, but you're not safe. These northern suburbs of ours around this area, they're more vibrant. Mm -hmm. Like at least someone good I met, how are you doing? You know, you can be chat one-on-one, -on -one. but then you go in some place and like, because I've been in those places anyway, is why I'm saying that. But again, I remember I, I worked in rugby one uh, on a rugby primary school, okay. uh, after school care provided there. And uh, the first time I was there was, oh, that was, the people, people just, the people are just staring at you. Looking at you. Uh, but the good thing is that the more they keep looking at you, like after they get used to who you are, they yeah. have nothing to say. But again, that doesn't mean you're safe. <laughs> I think that's it's something I don't like. Here you are, you're in a small community, but then you have these other type of people who are trying to make the whole thing up. I had a chance to drive through some of those areas and I like it. It's also part, is this part of Hobart mm. or it's a neglected, they are neglected towns, yeah. they are neglected suburbs. Like you compare and contrast and like what's going on, aren't resources reaching this area? Why is this area like this? You ask so many questions. And, yeah. But again, it's not in my position to answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I guess I would say inequalities and uh, uneven distribution of resources amongst uh, the groups, the gr some groups of people yeah. in Hobart. So what something that you miss about Rwanda or Uganda? I miss the food. Yeah. I miss the food. I miss, uh, of course, the people there. I miss being able to speak my uh, my language 24-7. <laughs> yeah, I miss being able to go back in my uh, languages and just speak that from morning to evening. So he is about English 24-7. And before you know it, you're just speaking English. The foods, of course, I miss. I don't taste many. There's many weather that don't favor that kind of food. So it's more food that grown in tropical areas. But I'm told it's in Brisbane. Mm. And I reckon I'm going to go to Brisbane, see if I can have that food. Like these are, for example, uh, we have banana. Banana. Not yellow, not the banana we eat, the yellow banana, but the banana that's green. I don't know how you call it here. I miss that one. Mm, I miss cassava. Uh huh, yeah. Cassava. And yeah, that sweet potato. I think there's more sweet potato that comes in here. There is a um, uh, poor maize flour portion. It's here. I'm told it's somewhere. They sell it in some shops. That's fine. That's all right. And beans are everywhere. So, yeah. Yeah, but I miss exactly banana and cassava. So, what are some of the, the biggest challenges you face when uh, trying to settle down in Tasmania? Housing. Mm -hmm. Housing is number one. Finding a house in Tasmania is hard, especially in Hobart. That's number one. And uh, the prices, the the prices of the the rent is also high. And even if you find that getting a job is another something which is very hard to find. Uh, people come with a lot of skills, but still they can't find jobs. Not because they are not given jobs, but the providers are few. Mm -hmm. And if the demand is high and the supply is low, it becomes really hard to even you know people get jobs. So and that's what most people find really difficult. Because if you can't, if you come here and they have Housing, housing is expensive. Yeah. In fact, finding house is hard, and then you find a house and it's expensive, and then you can't meet your uh, uh, your your costs. Then it becomes hard. You you have no job, and even if you get a job, you're earning what you earn and what you spend doesn't yeah. really add up. So yeah, people choose to you know move and go to mainland where they will tap into different opportunities and some you know get work. 
because there are a lot of uh, uh, providers. I think they, they have a lot of options to choose from when they're in mainland, between Melbourne or Sydney or whichever. Yeah, no. there are more uh, jobs and more variety. Yeah. And I think that's the main reason why people tend to move out of Tasmania. Yeah. yeah. But if you inter but if you're in Tasmania and you get a job, if you can get a job and get a quite a house where you can't pay, where you don't pay quite a large sum of money, you can manage. You know, get a job or you pick up a second job. You know to balance your uh, your equations, then you can manage. Yeah. And again, again, if you don't, if you have a large family, it's also hard. Especially yeah. you have a large family, you earn less. Again, people, the almost important thing is people to be able to meet their their costs. Yeah. But if they are never, if they can't meet their costs, they are obliged to move away and go somewhere else. I live every day the way it is. Yep. Yeah. If today, if I really don't carry on, I don't car, I don't carry on the bad days to another day. Mm -hmm. If today's end up badly, as long as I can sleep and wake up safe and sound, I feel like every time I wake up, every day is a new opportunity for me to change what changed yesterday and move forward. Mm -hmm. So I put forward resilience, enthusiasm, and a positive attitude towards anything. And that's how I managed. That's why I manage my way. Mm -hmm. A positive attitude and enthusiasm towards something, and of course, resilience. Yes.